Rahmatullah wa Barakatuhu. The word Kalima, as in the first Kalima, means affirmation of the faith. It's very similar to the word Shahada, uh, witnessing. And the first Kalima in Islam, the first affirmation, is La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. Um, the <clears throat> typical Islamic translation is there is no deity but God, and Muhammad is the prophet of God. I'm going to deal with the first part of the Kalima La ilaha illallah. The standard Islamic translation is there is no God but God, or there is no God but Allah. There is no deity uh, but Allah. Essentially making the statement that there is no other God than Allah. The Sufi interpretation, translation, meaning is different. It says, nothing exists but God, or I do not exist, only God exists. It takes the level of understanding to a different place. There is no deity but Allah begins a competition. Your God doesn't exist. Only my God exists. Any other, anybody else who worships any other God is not worshiping God appropriately. Well, within the monotheistic understanding, if there is only one God, then in fact there can be no other God. And if anybody worships God, they are worshiping that one God because there's nothing else to worship. Now, unless you have a fixation about your language and you want everybody to call God by the same name you call God, you should be able to assume immediately that everybody is worshiping the same God, especially if they're also monotheists. It's astonishing uh, that people think that Allah is somehow a different God than Jehovah, or Jehovah, the Jewish God, or the Christian God, or the Muslim God, are somehow different. All of them believe that there is but one God. So why does culture, language, and the way we name him the words we use for it have so much to do with our emotional attachment and our reaction to that. Within that understanding is a big part of the religious problems that exist in the world. The need for your language, your culture, to be predominant in the understanding of God 
and that everyone sees God through your culture's eyes, your language's eyes. Um, this has a lot more to do with personal ego and the sustenance, sustaining of one's own culture, one's own language, one's own way of seeing things, one's own pride than it has to do with belief in God. And we have to come to grips with that understanding. Now, the word kalima and shahada not only mean an affirmation of the faith, they mean witness to the faith. They mean more than that in Sufism. They mean exemplar of the faith. One who is the example of the faith. So, when one is in the state of Sufism as opposed to just talking about it, and he says, La ilaha illallah, he's saying, I don't exist. I'm not here. Only God exists. He's no longer talking about a belief system. He's no longer talking about acceptance of certain criteria to make one a believer. What he's talking about is being to be a believer, disappearing to be a believer, so that all that is in conflict with that God that is all existence doesn't exist. So what's actually being said is all of the things within me that would be in competition with the existence of the one God that is all that exists don't exist. My state of surrender is such that my will no longer exists but is subservient entirely to his will without question, without any kind of argument, without a why, without a who, with only the point that God exists and my understanding is that God exists. The third kalima, which is a further affirmation of the faith, says, Subhanallah, walhamdulillah, wala ilaha illallahu wallahu akbar, wala hawla wala kuwata illa billahi wa huwal aliyuladhi. Subhanallah, all praise is to God. All praise is of God. Alhamdulillah, all praise is to God. Subhanallah, all praise is of God. What does that mean? It means that everything emanates from Him and goes to Him, comes and goes from and to. There are no intermediaries. There is just Him. So to understand Him, what has to happen to the extent of our being? Our being has to become subservient and surrendered to so that we truly understand that all praise is of and to 
him simultaneously. How do we truly surrender? How do we get to the point where the word surrender isn't just syllables that we mouth in the same way that we say there is no deity but God? Are we again saying we surrender to our God and you don't? Are we classifying ourselves as somehow different than others? Or is something else going on in the recognition that we surrender? What has to happen? Well, what has to happen is that with the depth of what we can understand, we have to become like God, to the extent that it's possible to do that. What's that mean? It means that we have to garner, take on the qualities that are Allah. And we've been told what these qualities are. But do we really understand what these qualities are? For instance, it's evident to us as we sit in this room that we're physical beings. And when we clap our hands, there's a reaction because it's a physical reaction. But we also know that we're spiritual beings. Spiritual beings are without physicality. Can we become in touch with things that are without physicality? And can those things become as real to us as the physical things in our existence? Can we wrap our understanding around non-physical things in the same way we can wrap our things around physical things? Now, we know that there are non-physical things that have effect on us. Our emotions are certainly not physical. They may get triggered by external circumstances, but when they happen, they make us move, but we know that our emotions are not our arms, our emotions are not our brain, our emotions are not our eyesight, our emotions are not the fact that we scream or cry. There's something else going on that's causing physical reactions, but these things that are causing the physical reactions are not physical. Well, once we understand that, we can understand that there's more to us than this physicality, and we have to become sensitive to the non-physical portion of our self. As we become sensitive to the non-physical portion of our self, we become sensitive to the non-physical portion of others. Then we begin to be able to touch an entire world that doesn't exist in the physical. And when that begins to happen, we begin to become different because we see things in an entirely different way. 
all of a sudden, all that is physical has less status in our world because we begin to understand that underlying all of this physicality is something else that is what is truly real. That reality doesn't exist in this physicality. It exists beneath it where we can't see it or touch it with our senses, but there's a way for us to know it. And as we become in tune with that new way of knowing things, an alteration occurs in our being. So that when we say the Kalima, we no longer say, I believe, or I proclaim. We can begin to say, I am what I state. My understanding of things is such, my faith system is such, my being is such that nothing exists except God. I've not only stated the words, I've become the statement. And this is the difference between the mystical understanding of things and the religious understanding of things. Religion becomes an intermediary for you to deal with God. Sufism, mysticism, becomes a relationship between you and God, a melding of you and God, a connection between you and God. And it takes a level of priority in your existence that all of the things that come with physicality don't have. So, power over others no longer becomes important because your relationship is with God. Politics no longer become important because your relationship is with God. Real estate no longer becomes important <clears throat> because your relationship is with God. Your entire understanding of things is different because of your relationship with God. The world is no longer your key to understanding. It's no longer your touchstone. It's somewhere else. And that's why the madman, the drunk, and the mystic all look the same to the person who's involved in the physical world because it doesn't make any sense to them. When they look at people who've left the realm of physicality in the way they understand things, who've left the realm of physicality in the priorities of their life, who've left the realm of physicality in the way that they act or why they act, these people don't make any sense to the people to whom the realm of physicality is what they hold on to because they believe that their life depends on it. And if they let go, somehow they'll float 
through the universe and there's nothing to hold on to and it's the end of their being. The truth is, it's the beginning of their being. And only when you let go and allow yourself to become free to float in this universe without holding on to the physical and to the things that we see and to the things that we recognize by our senses, do we truly become free. But we're afraid. Because all of our experience tells us that we need all the things we've spent our whole life gathering. In many ways, we're very similar to the squirrel who takes every nut and brings it back to its little nest and protects its nest because without its nest, it believes that if it doesn't have its acorns, it will die because that is what sustains us. We believe that what sustains us is God. And if this body were to disappear, it's only the ongoing process of what is our existence. It's a step in the change of status and state. And we are not afraid of that. The reality is, and even the ones who are tied to physicality will acknowledge that this life will end. But they will acknowledge it in the same way that the religionists say there is no deity but God. They acknowledge, but they do not believe. People do not believe in their own death. They know it. They see it happen all around them. They see everybody else dying, but they can't acknowledge that it will happen to them. They are not true believers. They are the ones who mouth the words because their words describe what they see. They don't describe what they are. And we need to stop describing what we see because we can't see the truth. We can't hear the truth. And that's why my revered teacher, Baal Mohayadeen, said, you have to hear with the ear inside the ear. You have to taste with the tongue inside the tongue. You have to touch with the sense inside the sense of touch. There's another level of perception. And we have to go to that level. We have to become sensitive to that level. When we say, Yarachman, O compassion, we have to sense compassion. We have to become compassion. The glory of our existence is to be able to transmute into those words and their meanings. If we can become compassion, if we can become mercy, if we can become love, then 
we can truly understand the relationship between ourselves and God. But if we can't be in touch with those things in ourself, we can't be in touch with God. More importantly, on that road, if we can't be in touch with those things in everybody we see, we can't be in touch with God. So if we think we are mercy, we are love, and we are compassion, but we exclude the ones that we see from that definition, we've excluded ourselves from that definition because it's a false definition. God created all of us. God gave us all the same things. And if we see with the truth, then we see those same things in everyone. And we recognize ourself in everyone. And we see ourself in everyone. And we see no separation between ourselves and others. In this state, you become an enemy to the world because the world cannot accept that kind of socialization. It can't accept that kind of an understanding because the world defines itself by boundaries. The world defines itself by separations. The world defines itself by differences. The world defines itself by the senses, by the external senses. It doesn't define itself by the higher level of understanding. And once you begin to define yourself and everything around you by these higher levels of understanding, you become an enemy to that world. And they have no room for you because they can't control things within their own definition. You become a danger to their definition of things. And the ones in power are afraid of other definitions. They're afraid of other points of view. Now, we're fortunate that we live in a country where points of view don't matter. And where anyone can have whatever point of view they want, and anyone can point at them and say, well, you know, they're nuts. And they're sort of left alone. They're the eccentric ones. But at least the eccentric ones are allowed. There are a lot of places where the eccentric ones are not allowed. So we have to understand that and be thankful for that. But we who go on our path have to be careful because in order to make your way through the world, as you interact with it, you have to make believe that you believe in it so that you're treated as someone normal and that you can make your way through it. But in reality, understand that you believe in God and hold on to that belief system while we make believe we believe in this system. 
as opposed to believing in this and then going to church or going to the mosque or going to the synagogue once a week or once a month or once a year and making believe we believe in God. We have to turn the table. We have to not only believe in God, we have to become that which is of the essence of Allah, that which is of the essence of God, that which is formulated in his being, not in our own being. We have to make that understanding, we have to make that be who we are and it has to do with becoming incredibly sensitive to the vibratory nature of our existences to the resonance nature of our existences to the non-atomic nature of our existences to the non-particle nature of our existences, to the non-existent portion of our existence. Can you weigh love? Can you put love on a scale and make the scale register? Can you weigh compassion? Can you tell me what the density of compassion is? Can you tell me what the density of love is? Can you tell me about the density of Rahman? Can you tell me about the atomic number of Rahman? Can you tell me about the atomic weight of Rahman? You can't do that. But do you not you do, do you deny its existence? Or do you understand that without it all the atomic numbers disappear? That without it there is no physicality. That without it Everything disappears. So, where do you want to make your stand? In the world that is reality or in the world that disappears when reality decides it should disappear? What makes sense to you? What do we truly understand? What do we truly know and where do we truly want to go? May that infinite one, that one who exists by himself, of himself, in himself, allow us to understand all of that and to become surrendered to his being so that there is a merging of truth. Amen. As-salamu alaykum. It's a very exalted speech. It's a very exalted speech. But you have to realize